Would you please welcome all of those online joining us, and especially our brothers and sisters at the Eunice Correctional Facility. We are honored to be a part of your lives and be in there with you today. And if you need anything, we want you to know that we want to be the church that helps you find what you're looking for. Um, as you're writing, as you prepare, just write this challenge down. Here's what the challenge so that I don't just say it every week and, and then we don't take it home. The challenge of this series has simply been to develop better conversations with God. To develop better conversations with God. That's the purpose of this series, the prayer effect. We wanted to, to break down the walls of our prayer time and for people to become more comfortable um, coming and agreeing with, uh, with us over their situation, over their need. We, we want people to, to talk to God consistently throughout the day. We want them to develop a prayer time that they don't currently have and, and develop a better prayer time than they do currently have. And ultimately, we want to be able to hear from God. And so we could all wrap all those things up and there's this one challenge, just this one statement to develop better conversations with God. Last week, we, we ended with discussing the importance of vision and, and really vision being what we hear from God, what God reveals to us, what God shows us. Discussing the importance of, of revelation or, or having a word from the Lord or hearing words from the Lord. Proverbs chapter 29 verse 18 says, When people do not accept divine guidance, they run wild. Another translation of the version says, Without vision, the people will perish. The NIV says, Without a revelation, people cast off all restraint. Okay, and I just want you to just picture this with me. Sometimes I have to give my children purpose. Otherwise, they just run wild. In our living room, our house is a box. It has a hallway with a bedroom and another attachment in the back that is like the playroom, guest room. We give, you, we give our kids uh, the same playroom as we give you when you come to visit. That helps my parents stay with my brother-in-law instead of at our house. It's a, they run through there, and then we have another hallway back into our living room. And so sometimes my children, they will just run wild for no apparent reason. And we got this bright idea, hey, listen, this place isn't chaotic enough. Let's get a puppy. And so now the puppy, and we didn't just get any puppy. We got a herding puppy. We got a, a mini Australian shepherd that herds people and nips at their heels. So as the children run, he's right behind them on their heels, literally. And then they step on him. And then they take off again. And, and then he chases them some more because they just run wild. So sometimes I'm like, okay, let's do something together. <laughs> let's have a purpose. Let's develop a plan. Let's accomplish something. Without divine guidance, they run wild. But watch this. But whoever obeys the law is joyful. I, I can't help but think uh, there was this one day um, that I was driving down the road and, and I was abiding by the law. I was, I was going like the speed limit. Not too fast, not too slow, but, but the speed limit. And, and I saw a police officer. As I was, this wasn't very long ago. I was coming, I was driving, and then all of a sudden, I saw the police officer. I was like, go, 
no, because that's my automatic reaction, right? Because I always follow the law, and so I may as well be scared every time I see a police officer. I don't know why that happens, but I saw this one that day, and I was like, oh, no. And then I looked down, and I saw, I was like, oh, I'm good. I'm going to the speed limit. Right at the same time, this little car with just blacked out everything comes, and he goes flying past me, or she, I don't know, I couldn't see in the car. They go flying past me and the cop, and I'm going the speed limit, and this person's breaking the law. They fly past the cop, and the cop's like, boop, and the lights come on, I'm like, it brought me a lot of joy in the moment. I don't know if that's ever happened to you, but, but following the law is actually joyful. And then it's maybe even a little bit more amusing than it should be when other people don't follow the law and they get caught. It's, it's just kind of a moment. Listen, it is more joyful to accomplish Jesus' will for your life than it is to try to pursue your own. In fact, if you, all you ever do is run after your own desires, every time that you accomplish that desire, you will find that it will never meet up because fantasy can never compare to reality. And every time that you chase after your own desire, it will leave another empty void inside of you and you will become more and more frustrated. But when you find His will and fulfill His purpose, you begin to receive fulfillment that you did not even know was available. His desires become your desires and all of a sudden the void that was is no more. Vision is God's voice for where we're going. And who we could be. It's God's voice for where we are going. And who we could be. It's like divine potential. That you have a sense of. Vision keeps you praying. It shows you who you are not. Revelation from God shows you who you are not. And where you are not. Now, listen, as a staff, we just do organizational leadership training very simply. We decided a long time ago that we are not going to see issues as problems. We are not going to see issues as problems. We are going to see issues as opportunities to get better. And so every time that something comes up or there's an issue we present the issue, we acknowledge the issue, we examine the issue, and we make adjustments to take advantage of the opportunity to get better. We don't look at it and become frustrated with, with, with where we're not. We don't look at it and become frustrated with who we're not. We look at it as inspiration to become something better, to do more, to make it better than anybody else is doing it. To do something that nobody else is doing. We don't get frustrated. We become motivated. Because we understand, as we ended on last week, that our difference is in the distance. What does that mean? Whenever we come to faith, we make a decision to, read, to, to receive Christ. Or whenever we see, receive a, a word from God, a vision or a revelation, right? We... God shows us where we are, and that, that's convicting, maybe even compelling, to change. Sometimes it's a little bit shameful, but He shows us where we are. It exposes who we are not and where we are not. And then He gives us this divine advertisement of who we could be in Him. 
or where we could go, what we could accomplish. And so often, we get hung up on the decision and the destination alone. But the difference is not just found in the decision. The difference is not just found in the destination. The difference in who we are is going to be found in the distance between the two. The difference can be found in an instant. We receive salvation. We inherit eternal life. We discover the life that Jesus purchased for us. But I promise you, if you just try to stay right there, you're going to end up worse off than you ever were before you made that decision in the first place. But if you understand that the difference is actually found in the distance, then when God gives you a vision to accomplish, it's inspiring. When God shows you who you're not, It's convicting. It causes you to draw on Him. It causes you to be humble before Him. It causes you to mature and be made holy as He is holy. You don't get frustrated when He begins to prune things off of you. You become thankful because you understand that in order for Him to replace things that don't belong, He's got to remove them first. And you're excited about it. You don't see it as an issue or as a problem. You see it as an opportunity. And when you accomplish that vision, when you come to that place, and all of a sudden you are who you saw yourself as, or you're becoming the person that God has called you to be, God shows you something else. And you start the process again. Oh man, that's frustrating. No, it's not. It's motivating. It gives us a divine purpose. It gives us a divine guidance, a vision, a revelation to not just run wild and cast off restraint. It gives us a place to go and a person to become. So Paul, understanding this principle, he said in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, so let's not get tired of doing what is good. How many of you, you just get a little tired of doing what is good? Like, you just get kind of sick sometimes of taking the high road. Like, just for one moment, you just want to take your salvation off and just set it down for just a second and make sure people understand what ignorant is. And what it looks like coming from, you just want to give a little bit of their own medicine back to them. It's one pastor, uh, he's now works in the uh, uh, sorry National Office of the Assemblies of God. I heard him say, his name's Alton Garrison. He said, everybody in your church can be a jerk except for you. <laughs> like, that's not fair. I just want to jerk just a couple people. That's a just, just one or two. Just, but, but Paul says, when you start to feel this way, Don't get tired. One version says, don't grow weary. But don't get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing. A harvest of blessing. Like like a truckload. Like a yard full of yards full. Not just like one little sampling of blessing which is sometimes all I want. I'm like, okay, God, I've been doing the good. I've been doing the right. I took the high road. Look, I don't need a harvest. I don't need a truckload. Just give me a thimble full. Just show me somebody. Just show me that somebody's getting it, that somebody understands, that, that, or just change that one person. Like flip them upside down for no apparent reason. Just make sure, just shake all the stuff out of them. Just give me one. But that's not what he says. He says, if you will not 
grow tired in doing what is good at the right time, whether in this life or the next, you will reap a harvest of blessing if we do not give up. Therefore, the message of the day, we must prevail in prayer. We must prevail in prayer. As I was kind of seeking God on what to call this, I had a general direction of of where I was supposed to go with this message, but I really didn't know how to title it. And this word prevail came to me. And, And I have an understanding of what it means, but I didn't understand the depth of this word in the English language. Prevail means to overcome in prayer. It means to, to triumph in prayer. Like you got the victory in prayer before you ever got it in person. It means to succeed in prayer. Like you accomplished it in your prayer closet before you ever really saw it come to pass. It means to conquer in prayer. To prevail in prayer and already have the victory through your prayer life before you ever see it come to pass in person. Our series scripture has been extremely important for us. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, it says, never stop praying. Never. One version says, pray without ceasing. I like that. That's cool. But I like it more. Just never stop praying. When do I say amen and when do I complete my prayer? Amen is not an exclamation point or a period. It's like putting dot, dot, dot on the end of your sentence. Amen means let it be. Everything that I just prayed, let it be. And let me go from here and not end my prayer or close it with my amen, but now let me go walk my prayer out. Let it be. Y'all shouting me down. Y'all going to have to be hard for me to finish today. Y'all sit down and be quiet. Got to get this message done so we can go to lunch. It'll be 1230 by the time we get out of here. If you're taking notes today, prayer is the womb of the promise of God. Prayer is the womb of the promise of God. Now, I, I only understand so much about the womb being a, a male, period, Okay. But I understand a little bit more than just the average male uh, because my wife was, was pregnant three times in four years. Three times in four years because she can't keep her hands off of me. Oh, now y'all wake up. Yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> Fall asleep on me. I'll say something crazy. Okay, so, but prayer being, being the womb of the promise of God. I had this promise of God. I, I, was, I was just believing Right, that, that I was going to have, I was actually taking it for granted. I was assuming that I was, I was going to have a son and that I was going to have children. And so our, our first baby comes along and, and then we find out we're having a girl and, and I wasn't sad. I was even more excited. I, I was a little bit overwhelmed. I was excited about having a son. I'm like, yeah, this is going to be, be he's going to be tough. He's going to be cool. He's going to be like good looking like daddy. He's going to look just like me, have black hair, olive skin. And, and, and so I was excited, but then I found out I was having a girl and I'm like, oh, God bless. He gave me a vision for where I was going, and I could already see it, and I was afraid of it. 
Megan, Megan, so Megan's pregnant with this child, this baby girl, and this, this baby girl is in her womb, and we're walking one day, because that's what you do when you're pregnant, and you're ready to have a baby, apparently, it was either that, or she tricked me, and she just wanted to go outside, I don't know, so we're walking down the road, and she's like, aren't you excited, look, feel her, feel her moving, I was like, I, I would feel her moving, it just didn't excite me, like, that wasn't as cool to me as it, as it was to her, because I, I didn't want to just feel the baby kick. Like, I wanted to hold the baby. I, I was ready for the birth, for the promise to be birthed. I didn't want it to just be conceived. And often that's how we are with God. We want the birth. We don't want just the conception. We don't want the gestation or the incubation of that gift we, or, that, or that promise or that plan or that purpose. We don't want it to, we don't want it to settle and prepare like it's supposed to. We want it and we want it now. Like, we're a microwave generation, but he's a crockpot God, okay? Now, listen, I love the microwave. I don't have anything against the microwave. In fact, I have one, and if it goes out, I will buy another one immediately because I like microwaves, especially when my wife goes on women's retreats because I don't know what else to cook. Like, put it in the microwave, warm it up. So we warm it up. But listen, and if you have, like, somebody calls me like, hey, Pastor Chris, I got some frozen vegetables. They've been in the freezer for a couple of weeks and, and we want to bring them over because, man, they're going to be good for you and for your babies. All you got to do is put them in the microwave, just warm them up. I'm like, okay, bring them over. Let's praise God for frozen vegetables. And so put them in the microwave, warm them up, we'll eat them. Okay? But if somebody calls me and they say, Pastor Chris, listen, we shot this hog. And it was fresh, never frozen. We put it on the grill. And that, that hog has been on that grill for the last seven hours. And we just have way too much we have set you a bowl aside, and it's still steaming right here. Would you like for us to bring it over? I would say, what I would like for you to do is quit talking about it, and I hope you're in your vehicle coming right now. Because listen, slow cooked is always better than nuked, okay? God is the same way. If he gives you everything instantaneously, it's not going to be nearly as good as if you would have waited, and you would have let that promise go into the womb of God and just incubate right there, just gestate, be discovered and then developed in that moment. Not just having everything as instant gratification. Through prayer, the promise of God is conceived. Through prayer, the promise, it incubates and it develops. And then through prayer, the promise is birthed. I didn't share this in first service, but man, I'll, I'll never forget. I was sitting on the platform and I was praying. We, Megan was pregnant again with uh, Emery. And, and I, had, I, I had my girl like, yay, I had a girl. Okay, like I want my name to last longer than me, right? So, so I was praying for a boy. And, and, and God showed me a scripture and said, it's, you will give, she will give birth to a son. It was like December 7th. It was around Christmas. I saw that scripture and it like jumped off the page. I was like, oh, cool, we're going to have a boy. I was telling everybody, even our, the mouthy people, like, you're not going to have a son. You're going to have a house full of girls. I'm like, get thee behind me, Satan. And so, not that there's anything wrong with a house full of girls. I just knew that there was only so much this man could handle. And so God gave me another girl. And I was, I was really confused. I was like, man, God, why did you, you do? I thought you said I was going to have a son. He, he told me in that moment, he said, would you just, would you just enjoy what I have given you before you keep asking me for something else? I'm going to give you a son. You got to enjoy this one 
before you start praying and believing for the next one. I'm not going to give you something new when you don't even, even know how to enjoy what's now. Two years later to the day, to the day, Megan was pregnant again. <laughs> Two years to the day, she went to the doctor and, had, and was scanned to see what we were having. Two years to the day that I was in the same time as that service two years previously. We were in the doctor's office and it was revealed that we were going to have a son. The promise was birthed in prayer, conceived in prayer, developed in prayer. This past week, Reverend Billy Graham finally went to the house that has been prepared for him for 99 years. The greatest evangelist of this age, over 200 million people heard the gospel from this one man. He said, this should be the motto of every follower of Jesus Christ. No matter how dark and hopeless a situation might seem, never stop praying. In his book, Day to Day, written in 1965, he said, we are to pray in times of adversity lest we become faithless and unbelieving. We are to pray in times of prosperity, lest we become boastful and proud. We are to pray in times of danger, lest we become fearful and doubting. And we are to pray in times of security, lest we become self-sufficient. Everything eternal comes through prayer. In fact, Reverend Billy Graham said, the only time my prayers are never answered is on the golf course. <laughs> Me too. If you play golf, you've, you've been there. If you don't, then that's why you didn't laugh at that. Number two, prayer is the field for God's preferred future. Prayer is the field for God's preferred future. Prayer is not just the seed that we plant. Prayer is not just the seed that we plant. It's the place that we go to plant the seed. Prayer is, is not just something we do. Okay, listen. It's not just something we do. It's a place that we go. And we have a bag full of desires. We have a bag full of potential. And some of those are even holy and divine. But we got a bag full of seed, but we never go to the field to plant. We just expect or assume that we're going to have what we desire, that everything's just going to go the way that it should go. And then when it doesn't, man, we come running to the field. But prayer is the field for God's preferred future. And if you will go to the field, then you won't have to run there only when everything goes wrong. If you can develop better conversations with God ahead of time, then you will see the answer to your prayer right on time. You won't have to go run into that place. We're like a farmer with no field. Like, I don't care how good you are at planting rice or crawfish or duck hunting that thing in between those two seasons. Come on, somebody. I, okay, I'm sorry, I'm back. It doesn't matter how good you are. If you don't have a field, 
You ain't producing nothing. It doesn't matter what you think you're going to accomplish, what you think you can do. If you never go to the field, it's not going to happen. Or let's say you go out to the field, but you didn't bring anything to plant. And the example that I thought of is, is, is like little kids in T-ball. Like they go out to the field, they have no clue what they're doing there. And Gabriel's turning four in May, and I'm excited about it. And we're going to sign him up for T-ball. Shake the hat, baby. Okay, so we're going to sign him up for T-ball, and, and it's going to be fun. And, and I'm going to have to fight every urge inside of me, like, to, to make sure that I remember that he's four, okay, and not in college. <laughs> so when he's, like, standing in a, in a random place that he's not supposed to be, or, or he's picking weeds or picking his nose or, or whatever, I'm, I'm going to be, like, on the fence, I'm like, Gabriel, get the, throw the, just I don't know, dude. Just stand there and be pretty. My goodness. <laughs> like, let them gold locks flow in the wind looking just like daddy. <laughs> That's not true. He looks like her. But whatever. He's not going to know what to do. Listen, well, hang on. Watch this, though. But the more he goes to that field, the better he's going to get. The more often that you go to that place, the better you will get at what you came to do. But you can't just stay home and you can't just show up even though you don't know what to do. You got to learn and you got to grow. Look, if you just keep on going out to the field and spinning around in circles, picking grass in your nose, you ain't playing at the next level. You're going to stop right there. You've got to grow in that relationship. You've got to grow in that place. And the more often that you go, the better you will become. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. Paul says, remember this. Apparently this was important. He didn't just keep on talking. He stopped a phrase and said, hey, remember this. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. Listen, let me say it this way. A Christian who only prays a few prayers will get a, a small crop. A, a Christian who only prays occasionally will only live it out occasionally. A Christian who only prays once a week may only live it out once a week. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to be a little bit more than a small, occasional, once a week Christian. I want to be an everyday, every minute, everywhere I go believer. I, want, I don't want to plant a small field and receive a, a small crop. The one who plants generously will get a generous crop. I don't want to just plant occasionally. I don't want to just plant weekly. I want to plant as often as possible. As many places as I can. Because that's what God's called me to do. To become or accomplish anything eternal, we must prevail. We must triumph. We must conquer. We must overcome and succeed in prayer. You should pray so much 
that by the time you get to the place that you've been praying about, all you see it as as what you've been praying it to be. You don't see it as what it is. You see it as the potential that God has for it. So when we moved here, and man, we had an incredible team full of people serving and working their faces off in children's ministry, but we didn't have a full-time children's pastor. In worship ministry, but we didn't have a full-time worship pastor. And in youth ministry, but that man was leaving. And so in November of 2016, it was me and the ladies. And I thought, the Lord has forsaken me, and I am being punished for something that I don't know what. What is it, Lord? Help me. Why am I here? Why am I doing this? But one of the things that I'm really glad that we did is we were in prayer at 714. And by the way, we do that every week still to this day. 714 every Sunday. God help us. We come in here at 714. Why 714? I don't know. It just made sense. Chronicles 714, if my people who call by my name humble themselves from pray, turn from their wicked ways. So we meet at 714, and you're welcome to join us any Sunday you want to. I know we got some people, they'll come in and pray with us. And as soon as we finish praying, they'll go get coffee or breakfast or whatever and, and come back. But every week we would pray, and I would walk. Before we ever went to two services, I would start over here, and I would put just a little oil on my hand. Not like a lot of oil, because I don't want you to leave with a stain. But I would put just a little oil on my hand, and I would walk, and I would touch every chair. And I would ask God, Lord, I want you to fill every chair in this room, not once but twice. Fill it twice, Lord. I pray, I pray that every chair in this room would possess a soul. And I would, look, I would point at the chair, and I would, I'd command that chair. You possess a soul. You're not just a seat. You represent a soul. Not once but twice. Before we ever went to two services at Easter, we were walking these chairs, and we were praying. Every Sunday that I've been here in prayer, I, even when I didn't want to, I'd get up and I'd touch every chair. And we, in, in Easter of last year, we went to two services. Um, and then what we did is we decided to stay in that over the summer. And uh, my wife didn't tell me until after it worked that she thought it was not a great idea to do that. And, and I was a little afraid of it, but our parking lot team and our nursery and infant and toddler workers were extremely excited about the fact that we were going to go to two services. So we went to two services and went, and with every pastor in America... Okay, and it's not because they're not praying. It's just good. God ministered here, and God's doing something incredible here. Every pastor in America would, would tell you that in the summer, you see a, a decline in your attendance. And, and a decline in your attendance means a decline in your giving and a decline in your servant database, and it's like pulling teeth over the summer. So we do this campaign, of, you know, if we want you to go on vacation. We just want you to take Jesus with you and leave your tithe here. We did all that stuff last summer. And, and over the summer, we grew by 120 people over the summer by going to two services. But we had prayed for that a long time before we ever went to it. So when it happened, I, I got to be honest, I really wasn't that shocked by the fact that it worked because I had been in prayer, praying not for where we were, but for where we were going. So when God did what he said he was going to do, I just said, thank you. What do you want me to pray for now? So last November, again, it seems like a November thing. Right before Thanksgiving, I'm right there in front of Miss Lynette, praying over the chairs like I always do. And God said, touch the chairs three times. And I said, don't tell my staff that, but I'll do it. And so I started touching the chairs three times, everywhere, every chair. And then he began to give me a phrase to pray over every chair. I would say, fill the seat, fill the soul. Fill the seat, fill the soul. One, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, all the way up and down every aisle at 714. And then we come together and pray. And what I believe that represents 
sense right now. Now that we're going to three services, I think we'll have one more at Easter because it would just be smart. But not that we're going to three services, but that every individual in this room represents one more person that's not currently here. And I was supposed to pray not only for the people that are in this room, but for the people that the people in this room represent that have not yet come into this place. So fill the seat, fill the soul, and then use that soul as a representation of another soul to bring them into the kingdom of God. Because the only thing that is ever accomplished eternal is accomplished in and through prayer. There is so much available to us as sons and daughters of God. So much available to us as sons and daughters of God. As children of God. We have an inheritance. We have an ability We have a divine nature. I believe that if we could see what we're missing because we do not prevail in prayer, it would change the way that we pray. Like if we would just, for one day, if just one day God would give us a thousand clip snapshot of our preferred future in prayer. If just for a moment in our prayer closet we were alone with God, and if you don't have one, then you need to develop one. If we just got along with God and for that instant, in that moment, God were to give us just a thousand clip real quick of everything that he has available to us, it would ignite a fire for prayer that does not currently exist in us. It would ignite a passion to pursue him with a fervency that we have never had before. But right now, we walk out and we act like we don't know what to do with what God has given us. It would be as if Tiger Woods' son went to a golf course and did not recognize the golf club. He didn't know what to do with it, where to hit the ball. It would be like if Gabriel went to the baseball field over and over and over again after we had been hitting on the tee and playing, and he walked up to the box, and he's like, uh, didn't know what to do. I'm like, Gabriel, watch the game. Pay attention. I'm thirsty. Gabriel, watch the ball. It's going to hit you in the face. Oh, it's a snow cone. No, I want you to pay attention. I want you to get it. That's what God's doing with us. Like, I have so much available to you. It's time to stop just coming to church and be the church. It's time to stop just living your life through everybody else's prayers and begin to develop your own conversations with God. Because if you could see the divine advertisements that are available to you, it would ignite a desire inside of you. It would ignite a desire to pursue Him and everything that He has available to you. And you would develop better conversations with God. Dr. Brian Jarrett Pastor of uh, Saxe, a church in North Place in Saxe, Texas, just south of Dallas. Just built an immaculate facility reaching thousands of people with the gospel. And it's not just a place that a bunch of cattle go and herd through on Sundays. I'm, they're developing teams. They, they have people doing all kinds of ministries. The place is coming alive. And he said, the proof of your desire is in your level of pursuit. In other words, if it doesn't concern you enough to pray about it, then why would it concern God? If it doesn't worry you enough to make your request known to Him, if it's not burdening you enough to develop a prevailing prayer life, an overcoming prayer life, a triumphal prayer life, then really you don't desire it as much as you think you do because your desire will be found in your pursuit. Can I tell you that I I truly believe this, a prayerless 
Christian will be a powerless Christian. A prayerless father will be a powerless father. Mother, sister, friend, whatever you want. But, listen, when you learn how to prevail in prayer, not just pray, but prevail in prayer, a prayerful Christian or believer will become a powerful believer. It is in prayer that we see the advertisements of God. And these advertisements stir our passion to pursue Him. When you take passion and you unite it with prayer, the promises of God become the purpose of your life. When you take passion and you combine it with prayer, The promises that are available become the purpose that you produce in your life. Prayer incubates the desire, births destiny. Prayer prepares us for the promise and the purpose. Prayer is the ignition of the desire. It's the spark plug of desire. And it's the engine of pursuit. You show me A Christian that doesn't pray. And I will show you a Christian that struggles in their faith. But you show me a believer that prevails in prayer. And I will show you a believer that is building a foundation upon the solid rock of Jesus Christ. And their circumstance and their situation does not determine their faith. Their faith determines their circumstance and their situation. Anything of eternal value hinges on our willingness to pray. That is a powerful statement. Anything more than temporary, anything eternal hinges on our willingness to pray. Renowned author, Timothy Keller. You type in his name, unbelievable guy. Heard him speak one time, awestruck. Everything he said went over my head. Amazing, unbelievable man. He makes one of the most profound statements on prayer that I've possibly ever heard. I love it. That prayer is a rebellion against the status quo. It's a refusal to stay in that place and remain that way. It's a rebellion against the world and everything else. And Jesus represented this statement in His prayer for us. Finally, if you're taking notes today, this is our closing. Prayer is the place where we find Jesus. We would not know this if Jesus had not prayed. In John chapter 17, verse 15, Jesus says, I am not asking you to take them out of the world. In other words, this is about more than them going to heaven. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. But to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Verse 17, make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is the truth. 
If I don't get anything else right for my bride and my babies, I want to make sure that this one checks in. I want to make sure that I am holy as He is holy, that I teach them the Word of God, which is the truth. Why? Because I don't want science alone to teach my son what is right and wrong. I want him to be so familiar with the absolute truth that every time the world presents him with the counterfeit, he recognizes it and he's able to set it straight in his his heart and with everybody around him to know the truth verse 18 just as you sent me into the world I am sending them not to just be saved and settled and safe but to be sent by Jesus I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth Verse 20, I'm praying not only for these disciples, not just for the two that are coming in every service, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I'm not just praying for the gospel to take root in an individual. I'm praying for the gospel to take root in that individual and it be so transformational in that individual that they cannot help but share it with other people and make sure that everybody that they know and love gets the same message inside of them is impacted in the same manner and we all grow in Christ together I pray that they will all be one just as you and I are one as you are in me father I am in you and may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me I have given them the glory you gave me I have given them the glory that you gave me. We have no excuses to not do what God has called us to do. To not hear as Jesus heard. To not prevail as he prevailed. To not operate the way that he operated. Because he said, everything that I have, And everything that I faced, everything that I overcame, my ability, my desires, and my inspiration, I'm not going to hoard it to myself. I'm going to hand it over to you. Why? So they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. I'm going to slap the face of heresy this morning. I have been in the Bible Belt. I believe that we have done an absolute injustice to the Word of God by teaching people that they should just receive salvation so that they can go to heaven. It's all I feel like I ever heard in the church for 20 years of my life. Receive salvation. Come to Christ. Ask Jesus into your heart. Receive salvation. Why? Because you don't want to go to hell. You want to go to heaven. You want heaven. You receive salvation. Make the decision to follow Jesus so that you have the destiny of heaven. Listen to me. That is a lie from the enemy. The devil wishes you would just make a decision for Jesus and then stand right there and do nothing for the kingdom of God for the next 47 years until you hear the trump of the Lord. But God's desire for you is that you wouldn't just decide to follow Jesus or receive Christ's 
salvation, but you would remain in him and discover his purpose for your life and enact that purpose in the path of every individual that he puts in your path for the next 48, 49, 50, 100, however long. As long as he tarries, it is the will of God that none should perish, but all should come to repentance. He didn't want us to just receive salvation and feel really good about ourselves while people are lost and going to hell. He wanted us to rise up out of the ashes and become like him. Walk as he walked. Talk as he talked. Live as he lived. Even think as he thought. That is God's desire for us. Not just the decision or the destination, but the distance between the two. That is where we should be different. Acts 17, 28. For in him we live and move and exist. We have our being. As some of your own poets have said, whatever that means, we are his offspring. Can you imagine LeBron James' son walking out on the basketball court and going, what do I do? I don't know what to do with this thing. My dad was really good at it, but no, I don't know what to do with it. That's what we look like. When we walk out of church and we act like we don't know how to live for Jesus for the rest of the week. Somebody presents us with a problem. We act like we don't know what to do. Something rises up in our life and all we know how to do is whine at God and get mad at Him for whatever's going on. When we hadn't been living for Him, we hadn't been in the pit. We hadn't been in the prayer closet. We just wake up one day and everything's not going well and it's God's fault. When God said, listen, if you would have been prevailing in prayer, you would have overcome that situation a long time before you ever had to go through it. But now that you're in that place, you got to come to the field and learn how to plant and sow and tarry in prayer. So let's start today. Let's not wait until something's wrong. Prevail in prayer. In Him, we live and move. We have our being. We don't just survive. We thrive for his kingdom. I'm not going backwards. Neither is my son in Jesus' name. Because he's going to be able to imitate me as he imitates Christ. If I don't get anything else right, I'm going to follow Jesus with everything that I have. And I will never settle for the status quo that the world has to offer. Father, I pray right now that you would help us. Lord, if there's anybody in here that doesn't know you, has not made the decision to receive salvation, or maybe they did at one point, but they have since drifted away and they know that today is the day that they need to make that thing right. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would have your way right now. If there's anybody in here, Lord, that needs to develop a prayer life that doesn't currently exist. I pray that today would be the day that we make the decision. If there's anybody in here, Lord, that knows that they need to better their conversations with you, that they need a fresh vision, a fresh revelation, inspiration not only for where they are, but for where they're going. I pray right now you would speak to our hearts and help us to be obedient. With heads bowed and eyes closed in this moment, we just want to make this opportunity available for you. All I'm going to do is ask you to pray out loud with me in a minute. I'm not going to call you up. I'm not going to embarrass you. 
But if you're in the room today and you don't know Jesus and you know that you need to, you have not received salvation or it's been so long since you received, you know you've drifted away and you're not following Him and you want to make that right today before you leave this place. If you would just raise your hand and say, Pastor, I want to be included in that prayer that you pray. Just lift your hand right where you are and say, Pastor, that's me. That's me. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Lord, help me. I need to receive salvation. I need to follow you. I need you to replace my desires with your desires. The second question this morning, if you need to develop a better prayer life because it doesn't exist or it's faded, you want to make that right today. You just want to recommit to prevailing in prayer more passionately, more consistently. Would you just lift your hand and say, hey, that's me all over the room. That's me. I need to prevail. I want you to pray this prayer with me out loud, whether you raise your hand or whether you didn't. And we believe that if you pray this prayer, that God hears and God answers. So I want you to pray this out loud with me. Just say, Jesus, forgive me for my unbelief, for my lack of prayer. Save me. Fill me with your spirit. Take my life. Make it yours. Help me to follow you wherever you lead with all of my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, if you prayed that prayer for the first time or the first time in a long time, we believe that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And we believe that the angels are singing a shout unto God right now that's being heard across the entire universe. Would you stand with me this morning and celebrate all of those who prayed that prayer, who committed or recommitted their lives to Jesus today? Listen, if you made a decision today, I'm gonna ask you to let us know If God moved in you and you made a decision or you recommitted or committed, I want you to let us know. You can take this time right now. Just put your name on the Connect card. Let us know the decision that you made. Also, we're going to have a baptismal service, water baptism. We believe that that's a, a step of obedience as an example that Jesus did. We believe in full submersion, being water baptized. We're going to have a service. Uh, real soon where we do that. There's a sign-up sheet for that outside. And then also over here and then all the way around the room are some small groups that we would love for you to just look over and consider signing up for. If, uh, if you got to get out of here, that's cool. But if not, make sure you check out those uh, small groups. If for, for the men, I'm just putting a plug for myself. We're going to have coffee at the Mosaic, not this Thursday, but coming up when we start small groups. We'll have coffee at 640. I know that's not early enough for some of you, and it's way too early for some others. So that's where we meet. That's what we do. Just a little men's coffee. We'll share some things and pray together. I promise you, if you look hard enough, there is a small group for you and for your family. We'll have child care on some of those nights. Just check those out and sign up and your leader will get with you and let you know. All right. If none of that applies to you, God bless you. I just want you to open your hands. Let me pray over you. and We're going to be dismissed. And if you're a voting member, meet me in the student center. Father, I love you. And I thank you for this day. I pray that you would bless us and keep us and make your face to shine upon us and be gracious to us. Lord, lift up your countenance and give us peace because you're bigger than anything that we face. I pray in the name of Jesus that you would help us to prevail in prayer, to overcome, and that our current situation would seem more insignificant 
because we have a bigger perspective than our current circumstance. Father, would you anoint us to accomplish your will, to rebel against the status quo. Holy Spirit, would you come into our lives, fill us and help us to be an example for you, for every person that you put in our path. Help us to not just come to church, but be the church, to meet people and grow closer to you together. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Meet somebody that you don't know before you leave today. Sign up for a small group. We'll see you soon.